Well, good morning. morning. Join me in James chapter 4. We'll kind of pick up where we left off uh, last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago. Um, We'll read verses 1 through 10, and uh, we'll look at a few things this morning. Uh, James 4.1 begins this, uh, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that ye war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, yet ye, yet, excuse me, ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh, unto you, nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, Excuse me, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. Father, we do thank you for the freedom we have here in America. Lord, no matter how troubled it seems to be, Lord, help us to never forget that you're in control. And I pray that you just uh, work in the hearts of our representatives and those that we've uh, elected into office. Lord, I pray that each one would be saved. Lord, help us to do our part to be influential in our communities, that we might make a difference in our country. And in the coming hour, we pray for your hand of blessing on Sunday school. Be with each teacher. Fill them with the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that your word would go forth with power and that it would fall on good ground. And, Lord, that each one would be a doer of the word. And, Lord, our church would grow spiritually, numerically through the ministry of our Sunday school classes. And we'll give you the thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked a little bit about conflict uh, a couple weeks ago, and so today we're going to get down to uh, the latter part of these verses in in verses 1 through 10, uh, and we'll kind of talk about the cure for conflict, if you will. Um, We discussed a little bit about conquering conflict a couple weeks ago, and we didn't really get to the end of this. Um, But the verses 1 through 3, we see the cause of that conflict. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? And so we, uh, we understand that a lot of the conflict and the, the wars and the things that we face uh, come from within and our, our sinful desires. Uh, and there's some consequences uh, to those lustful desires that we have. And when we act upon those things, uh, it creates conflict amongst people. Uh, in our homes, in our marriages, uh, in our churches, because people are selfish and they want it their way. Um, And obviously that creates conflict between us and our God and it affects our fellowship uh, with our God. And and, uh, so the word lust indicates a craving for sensual delight. And we talked to that's whether we want pleasure, we want prestige or some possessions or, or maybe some power. Uh, but oftentimes it creates, uh, it says, come wars and fightings among you. 
Uh, have you ever had a fight at the house? Nobody has? Man, you guys are doing better than I am. Cindy and I were boxing this morning. No, things have been good, but when you think back at those times, how often has it been because you wanted something your way? Um, I'll never forget the advice I was given in marriage counseling before Cindy and I were married. Um, And it was very simple, but it's profound. And he said, if you're there to minister to the needs of your spouse, and both spouses are doing that, you'll never have a problem, regardless of how the other individual is acting. And how simple is that? Uh, And men, we're commanded to do just that, to love our wives. And uh, listen, man, if you have troubles in your home, examine yourself. I know for me, that's been the most effective way because oftentimes it comes back to, and so that was not even in my notes, but listen, if you're struggling in your home, uh, love your wife. So that's extra credit. That's not even in my notes. So these selfish desires that we have, these lusts that are within our members cause conflict with other people. Uh, with our God, and, and he describes us in verse 4 as adulterers and adulteresses. And I think James is using such terminology here to help us understand the seriousness of being unfaithful to our God. And later on, we'll, t- we'll look in, uh, later on in this passage, it talks about being double-minded there in verse 8. Um, listen, ye cannot love God and mammon. Uh, listen, you ought to be sold out for God. And when we have other lusts and desires in our life, they conflict with God. Satan and our flesh want the opposite of what God wants. I know you've heard that before. And so, but those selfish desires that we have, they draw us to the world and the ways of the world. Uh, And oftentimes we think we're doing okay because we kind of fit in with the world. But don't forget that if you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. And, I, and we kind of touched on it last week, and there's not a person in this room that I don't think would agree that adultery is terrible. And, and the, the, just the utter conflict and the lack of fellowship in a marriage that that creates, the heartache and the heartbreaking experience for those that have been through such a thing. How often do we do that with our God when we want to take part in what the world has to offer, when we act out on those lustful desires that our flesh has? Uh, We need to be careful. You're the enemy of God. Uh, So be very careful not to adopt and become comfortable with what the world has to offer. Matthew 12, 30 says this, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Listen, as Christians this morning, if you're not all out for God, you're opposing Him. You're against Him. The Word of God tells us. And James emphasizes the seriousness. And and I don't know how much time I'm going to spend here, but this was an interesting part of my study. It says in verse 5, Do ye think that The scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. And does anybody know where that is quoted from in scripture? I don't either. I couldn't find it. Um, And some of the commentators couldn't find it either. 
Um, and I, I got some notes here from Matthew Henry on, on his thoughts on that. But uh, last week I said this, and I, and I think it sums it up pretty good. The carnal nature within us lusteth to envy. Our carnal nature was contrary to the things of God. And our selfish desires caused conflict with God and oftentimes with others. So I said that, but I never really discussed where James is drawing this. He says the scripture says this. Uh, so where does he draw this information from? And uh, Matthew Henry writes this. It's pretty lengthy, uh, but I think I'm going to share it with you this morning. <clears throat> and these are his, his notes on, on verse 5. It says, The count given in the Holy Scriptures of the hearts of men by nature is that their imagination is evil, only evil, and that continually. And he references Genesis 6-5, if you recall that. And so a lot of the commentators, they said they don't believe James was quoting a specific Scripture, but the teachings of the Old Testament and, and even the New Testament. Uh, but listen to this. It says, Natural corruption principally shows itself by envying, and there is a continual propensity to this. The spirit which naturally dwells in man is always producing one evil imagination or another, always emulating such as we see and converse with, and seeking those things which are possessed and enjoyed by them. Now this way of the world, affecting pomp and pleasure, and falling into strifes and quarrels for the sake of these things, is the certain consequence of being friends to the world. For there is no friendship without a oneness of spirit. And therefore, Christians, to avoid contentions, must avoid the friendship of the world and must show that they are actuated by nobler principles and that a nobler spirit dwelleth in them. For if we belong to God, He gives more grace than to live and act and a generality of the world, world do. The spirit of the world teaches men to be churls. God teaches them to be bountiful. The spirit of the world teaches us to lay up or lay out for ourselves and according to our fancies. God teaches us to be willing to communicate to the necessities and to the comfort of others and so as to do good to all about us according to our ability. The grace of God is contrary to the spirit of the world and therefore the friendship of the world is to be avoided. If we pretend to be friends of God, yea, the grace of God will correct and cure the spirit that naturally dwells in us. Where he giveth grace, he giveth another spirit than that of the world. And so, listen, nobody here, I, I don't believe, has a, the lack of understanding that we have a flesh that wars in our members. Uh, we battle the old man, we say. And so... That creates conflict. That creates fightings among us and wars. And so what's the cure for this? Look at verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And we'll talk about, it says, wherefore he saith. I think he again is, is referencing uh, some scripture. I, I wasn't sure exactly. But Psalm 138, 6 says this, Though the Lord be high, yea, hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. And so God honors humility. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. But um, So the cure for these conflicts or these fightings or these wars that come among us because of our own selfish, lustful, sinful desires is grace. Uh, it says, but he giveth more grace. So we have that spirit that dwells in us that lusts to envy. But he gives grace. And so grace in the Bible, 
uh, there's at least three types of grace that we can talk about in the Word of God. We know there's a saving grace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are you saved uh, through faith. And then there's an empowering grace. Acts 4.33 talks about uh, the <clears throat> apostles being uh, empowered there. Acts 4.33 says this, And with great power uh, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And then there's an equipping grace that we see in, in Romans 12.6. And, and uh, by no means am I saying this is an exhaustive list, but there's at least three. And so I believe here, though, James is talking about this empowering grace to live totally for God. Because remember, we have this battle where we have these lusts in our members. These things that cause conflict or wars that fight or that creep up among us. But he gives us an empowering grace to overcome those. He gives more grace. <clears throat> and then it says, Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but give, giveth grace unto the humble. There's, there's a requirement. God isn't necessarily just throwing out empowering grace for you to live victoriously. He does that on the condition that you would come to Him humbly. He's going to resist you if you do otherwise. And I don't know about you, but of all the people that I want to be resisted by, I think God is the least. The all-powerful God. And in the thought there, it's kind of interesting to think about. God is resisting you if you're coming to Him in pride. He's pushing away. He's not interested in what you have to offer until you humble yourself. And it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Uh, and then we're commanded to resist. And, and uh, before I get too far ahead of my notes... Um, <clears throat> Pride makes us self-centered and creates greedy appetites that causes us to do or to use people for selfish desires. Uh, we see that every day in the world. Uh, people are just out for what they can get, uh, for the pride of life, if you will. And, uh, but God resists us because our selfish desires conflict with His purpose for our life. You have to be totally surrendered and say, God, I'm, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to submit myself to you. Why? Because I want your desires in my life, not my own. Because what do our desires bring? Conflict. They bring fighting and wars with other people around us. They bring uh, contentions. They bring a lack of fellowship with our God. We're at conflict with our God. We're the enemies of God when we're acting out in our own flesh and in, in doing things uh, to appease our own desires. So we see a few commands here in this passage. And it's all predicated on God empowering us uh, with His grace to change. So this morning, what do you want to change about yourself? Do you want to be a more engaged husband, wife, mother, father, a better employee, maybe a better employer? 
do you want to improve in the relationships of life? You can't do it on your own. But with God's empowering grace, you can. And here's a few things, some commands that we're going to look at this morning to help us do that. We must submit to God. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. And the word submit is a military term. It means to yield or to arrange yourself under one of a higher rank. Listen this morning, God outranks you. I just retired. I can't say that without smiling. And uh, listen, I understand the chain of command. There were oftentimes I did things in the Air Force that I did not want to do. But there was a, someone above me that said, Sergeant DeGarmo, you're going to do this. Because they were above me. And so what did I do? I submitted myself. Sometimes I humbled myself. And that can be hard when uh, it's a worldly chain of command. We don't have to worry about that when we submit to our God. He's always right, and he's always doing it for the right reason. Some of my leaders weren't always doing it for the right reason. But that's not the case with our God. And so I want to remind you, because submission today is not popular. It's really not. Um, But I want to remind you, you're safe when you submit to God. Because he's always got your best interest in mind. He's never going to ask you to do something that is not for your benefit. And I remember as a young man, maybe even a teenager, I remember specifically getting counseled by a man. And I was struggling with a decision to make. And he looked at me and he said, do you think the devil's really going to ask you to do that? And it was a spiritual thing. But the reality was I was just wrestling within myself with an unwillingness to submit myself to what God had for me in my life at that time. And he just, I needed that guy to come up and smack me up on the back of the head and say, yeah, it's stupid, this is the Lord. God's never going to lead you somewhere where you ought not go. And so if you're wrestling with decisions this morning, God won't let you down. Submit. Let him have his way. Uh, Let him take control. Yield to him. Uh, Arrange yourself under his command. So just recognize his authority and do it. And uh, so when we say we submit, we offer all we are and have to God without reservation. Again, you can do that with God. It's safe to do so. You might not be able to do that with other people in this world. But with God, you can. No reservations. Just follow Him. This is what He asks. Romans 12.1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And look what it says. Uh, which is your reasonable service? It's only reasonable that you would submit yourself and everything that you have to God. Your ideas and your thoughts and those desires you have and the lusts that well up in you are worthless. They're vain. Submit those things to God. I don't think I would have ever planned on being where I'm at in life today. This wasn't, I didn't look back 20 years ago and say, you know, I'm going to retire. I'll be in South Dakota. Here's what the Lord's going to do. That didn't ever take place. 
but slowly yielding and submitting myself to the leadership of God has brought me to this place. And I dare say this, if you're in a difficult spot today, and I'm not talking about trials and things that that God allows in our life, but if you're struggling in life with not understanding what God's doing, I dare say it's because you're not submitting to Him. You're trying to do it of your own lusts. And guess what you're creating? You're creating conflict with your God. And you will never have that peace within because you're trying to consume it upon your own lusts. You're asking those things that are amiss. They're not God's will and and you're creating a war with you and your God because of your unwillingness to submit to His authority. Listen, He has all authority. The only problem is we don't recognize it and submit. But it's there. He has it. And listen, I'm telling you one day, you're going to give a bended knee and you're going to bow before Him and you will be forced to admit that you're under his authority. I'll tell you this, in my experience in this life, it's a lot easier to do it on a daily basis. The joy and the peace that that brings in your life is far greater than all the conflict and the contentions that are there. So listen this morning, submit to God. It's safe. Stop trying to do things your way and let God can take control and do it his way. His way is far better. Uh, far, far better. Well, listen, we need to resist the devil. When we do, he will flee from us, the Word of God tells us. So submit to God, resist the devil. Uh, never in the Bible are we told to attack the devil. You've, some of you have probably ever heard, we're going to charge hell with a squirt gun. What a stupid comment, right? <laughs> People say that, and I, and I understand what they're saying. I, I understand the, the thought there, but... But the reality is we're not commanded to do such things. We're commanded to submit to the authority in our life and to resist the devil when he tempts us. Not to fight him. Listen, you are no match for Satan. And I think we get in a lot of trouble when we start to try to resist those lusts and those things that well up in our old nature and when Satan's attacking us and we attempt to do that in our own power and consequently we lose and we fail. And we fall into sin and we make bad decisions and our lives are a mess because we refuse to submit to God's authority and just be obedient and just, you know what, Satan? Not today. How do we do it? Well, our Savior tells us. How did He do it? With Scripture. Uh, Every example that I can think of, uh, the Lord just would buffet Satan with the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. We're not going to tempt the Lord our God. And so listen this morning, you need to be in the word of God. You cannot effectively resist the devil without being in God's word. I dare say it will be impossible. And this basic knowledge that we have, because we like to quote those verses that we know Jesus used to combat the devil. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But listen, oftentimes we need more than that. We are commanded to study and to, to be into the Word of God, commit it to memory, 
And if you're not doing that, you're not effectively equipped to do your resisting. The resistance that you need, uh, and it takes time. Uh, some, that basic level is good at first, but listen, the devil's not going to quit. And he's going to throw something at you at a little bit different angle. It's a little bit more complicated maybe or just a little bit different, harder situation or scenario. And if you only have the basics of the Bible, you're going to lack the equipment that you need to be resistant. And so listen, I challenge you to get in to the Word of God, to resist the devil. You have to be in the Word to effectively resist Satan's attacks. And because it's in the, the thought here of conflict, I just want to make notice uh, or remind you of Romans twelve eighteen. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We think about conflict and warring amongst each other and, and contentions in those things. Uh, listen, we ought to be doing everything we can to live peaceably. And you know what? Oftentimes it's surrendering our desires, especially if those desires are those desires from the inner members, the the sinfulness of us, to surrender that and just to live peaceably. Has your flesh ever craved conflict? I might start meddling here a little bit. Our flesh sometimes relishes in sin. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been in a discussion with your wife or your husband and you refuse to apologize? Even after the Holy Spirit has convicted you and told you, you need to go make this right. I've been there. I've been in a disagreement with my spouse, with my wife, and I was justified and I was right. And I'm not saying that pridefully. That was the truth. In, the, in a certain situation, at times, I am right occasionally. So here I was. In my mind, I'm thinking I'm justified. I'm, right, I'm on the right side of this argument. And the Holy Spirit said, hey, Justin, why don't you just go talk to your wife till you're sorry for creating contention and arguing with her and seek restoration regardless of whether you're right or not. And I thought, you know what? I'm not doing that. She's going to say sorry this time. I'm tired of being the one. Guess what discussion she's having within herself? The same similar discussion. He's going to come first, right? So here we are. We have two people that are warring. They're fighting. The Holy Spirit has prompted both of them to go make this thing right. If you're in the wrong, go admit that you're wrong. Confess that thing. I found it amazing. My wife is very forgiving. And I'm an idiot. You guys have no idea. And so listen, but here we are. We have two people that are fighting and warring. And there's contention in the home and it's affecting the children. The Holy Spirit's working. And our flesh is just so happy. No, I'm not giving in. They're going to give in this time. How foolish. How often do you do that with your God? You know you're wrong. 
you know the things that you're doing in your life are contrary to what God would have for you. And you're refusing to get that stuff right. And you're in turmoil. You can't sleep at night. It's keeping you awake. Deal with that. Verse 8. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. What a thought. If you would just draw nigh to God. Listen, just like those two spouses that are warring, refusing to give in, if one of them would just speak up. Listen, our God is waiting for you to just draw near. We're not going to get through my notes again this week, but I think it's worth spending a little time here. When we take one step toward God, we find that He has been waiting. I don't think God gets anxious, but I think if you understand what I'm saying, He's anxiously waiting for us to respond and come to Him. He's right there uh, to quickly come and to be with us. And I'm going to read this parable in Luke 15, 17 through 24, if you want to turn there, um, just as a reminder of the prodigal son, as we often refer to it as. Sometimes I mention things and I don't take the time to turn there, but today we're going we're gonna to turn there. Luke 15, verse 17. And when he came to himself, and so we're going to kind of pick up in the middle of this, and this is when the son that had went away and, and wasted his life with riotous living, uh, and, he, and he finally, the Word of God tells us, he came to himself. He said, how many hired servants of my father's uh, have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Boy, sometimes we just need to confess. So this young man, he, he says, you know what? I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to tell him I've, I've sinned. He says, and no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. What an example of what James is talking about here. Where you humble yourself, you submit yourself to the authority, and as we won't have time, we'll look at it next week, but we start confessing and dealing with those things. Uh, But it says, I'm just going to be a hired servant. Humility. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father, But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat. And be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Our God wants your fellowship. He's just waiting for you to draw nigh. I think this is the only place that I've noticed in the Bible where we see God is pictured as being in a hurry. 
This father was waiting and ready to show his forgiving attitude and spirit toward his son. A great way off, it says. And I don't know how long the young man was gone. I don't know uh, how far he was. And I don't know if every day the father was there. Well, perhaps if he was coming from the next town over and he left at a normal time of day to make this journey, he would show up about this time. And so that dad every day was there waiting to see if his son was coming home that day. What a picture of the love and forgiveness of our God. He's waiting. He wants you to draw nigh to Him. The promise that when we draw nigh to God, will, He will draw nigh to us is not based on how bad we have been, but how loving He is. I don't know what you got in your life this morning. I don't know what conflict you have with God. But I'm telling you this morning that God is ready and He's just waiting for you to draw near to Him. So in the next few minutes, let's, let's look at some of the things in verse 8. Back in James uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. It says, Clean your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. We are to confess our actions as sin. Sometimes that's hard. We don't want to admit it. But the reality is that's the only way to really begin to draw an eye to God. Is to confess your sin. That young man there, the prodigal son, said, I've sinned before heaven and, or in the sight of heaven and before you, Dad. Just accept that you were wrong. You're a sinner. You've made some mistakes. And uh, don't make light of those, and we'll, we'll look at that later at the end of this chapter. Uh, <clears throat> the idea, I think, here, when we look at this, it says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded, is, is the idea of we confess our sin, and, and we, we begin to change our behavior as we purify our hearts. Uh, and so it's really the confession uh, that leads to sanctification <clears throat> as we practically live out... Uh, <clears throat> The Christian life. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we close this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Seeing you have purified your soul in obeying the truth through the Spirit, an unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And I think that captures the heart of what James is writing here in chapter 4. As you confess sin and you begin purifying your hearts, what happens? Those relationships where there was fighting and there was war, it says, you see that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. And I believe if we confess our sin and we begin seeking our God and as we become, uh, God begins to purify us, what is the natural thing that will take place? The love of Christ will be embodied. In us as Christians. Those sinful selfish desires that we have that create conflict. That bring fighting and war among us. 
Those things are suppressed because we have a pure heart. We're honoring God with our lives, and He's changing us by His grace to be more like Christ. And what is Christ? Love. And when you think about it, Christ came. He was the peacemaker. He was always on His earthly ministry trying to make peace. We can only have peace with God through Christ. Uh, He's the ultimate peacemaker. If we try to live for God in the world, we are double-minded, we see in that verse. It says, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And I want to remind you that's spiritual adultery. It's serious. It's nothing to just brush to the side or put under the rug. To be pure in heart means to be single-minded or totally faithful to God. You can't have a pure heart if your heart is divided. With the desiring the things that the world has to offer, the lust and the flesh and you know, of the eyes and the pride of life and all those things. You're double-minded. And again, it creates conflict. <clears throat> When we draw nigh to God, it makes us aware of our own shortcomings. And oftentimes we realize uh, our sin and we become afflicted and mourn. Look at verse 9 as we close. Here we got just a, a minute or so. And it says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. I know, sometimes based on my emotions, that I'm serious about getting right with God. Sometimes we don't get serious about it until we understand the gravity of the sin in our life. To be afflicted and mourn, to understand our misery, is what the idea there of being afflicted. And when I, when I saw that, when I was looking at, I think it was in the Strongs, it said to understand your misery. And all I could think of is be afflicted and to understand that the great gulf that my sin has created between me and my God. And how miserable that is. And oftentimes it brings me to tears. And I begin to mourn and, and weep because I've sinned and failed God. We don't bring sacrifices to the Lord anymore. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm thankful for that. That was a lot of work. Anybody ever slaughtered an animal? Uh, we've processed a few deer. We did some pigs earlier in the year, and it was a lot of work. But Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Listen, sometimes you need to get to the place where you understand the seriousness of your sin and it breaks your heart. At that point, I think you'll begin to confess and to draw near to your God. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Boy, there's, do you have a deep, heartfelt repentance that causes you to be sober about your sin? Listen, don't be, don't relish in your sin. 
and relish in conflict. Submit yourself to God. Draw near to Him. Confess those things. And allow God to restore fellowship between you and Him and between those around you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this day. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would just help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to You. Lord, help us to draw nigh to You. Help us to get serious about our sin. Lord, that we would confess it. And Lord, that we would purify our hearts. Lord, that we would be single-minded in serving You. Lord, help us, Lord, to put away the things that the world have to offer and to seek you wholly. And Lord, we'll just trust you to make the change in us. Lord, give us what we need to resist the devil. And Father, we pray now that you'd bless the service to follow. We ask that you would fill with your spirit, Lord, and that you would do a work that only you can do. Lord, we pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.